You know, at least six times in the Bible, it says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Probably the first time that's uh, mentioned in scripture is in 1 Chronicles 16, 34. It's called David's Song of Thanks. Have you ever read in 1 Chronicles 16, beginning in verse 34 is where it says that about give thanks to the Lord for he is good. But it's also mentioned in Psalms. Psalm 106, verse 1, Psalm 107, verse 1, Psalm 118, verse 1, and verse 29, and Psalm 136, in verse 1. But, you know, because God is so good, we can always come into his house or into his presence with joy, with thanksgiving and gratitude. You know, it's interesting how we're challenged sometimes by certain scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 has always challenged me. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Can you do that? Can you give thanks to God in all circumstances, even in the year 2020 with all that's going on? You know, I was telling Jody today, I said, I was of hopes that, you know, since it's such a, an off year that Tennessee would win this year, but we lost again, you know. <laughs> Someone met me again and said they wore black today, you know, in, in mourning for Tennessee. But anyway, but can you still rejoice even when you're not winning, even when things are not going well? Ephesians 5.20 goes on to say, we should be giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. Somehow looking at God changes everything. That's why I want to invite you to look with me at Psalm 111. When you've got an emergency, you dial 911. Well, I encourage you, if you have an emergency this Thanksgiving, you're saying, I'm not sure I can give thanks, then I encourage you to look at Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Wow, it's a powerful psalm. You know, many scholars believe it was written after the Babylonian exile. So please don't assume that the one who wrote this was going through really good, comfortable, pleasant times. It was not fun for the guy that wrote this, and yet he looks at God and he says, you know what, I can still give thanks, and I believe we can as well. Some people call this the alphabet psalm, not because it is our ABCs, but because in Hebrew, which it was originally written in, there are 22 lines in this psalm, 22 lines, right? Each line is a successive Hebrew letter, one right after the other. If it was in our ABCs, it'd be A for the first line, B for the second line, and so forth. Not only that, but it's almost like they're twins, Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. They both do the same thing. As a matter of fact, look at them closely. Psalm 111, Psalm 112, they're both 10 verses. The first eight verses consist of what they call a couplet, and yet verses 9 and 10 in Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 Verses 9 and 10, they both have a triplet. And so I think, this is incredible how thought out this thing was. It's funny how in Psalm 111, it celebrates God. And in Psalm 112, it celebrates the godly. It's almost like they're focused on the character of God in the Psalm we're about to read, Psalm 111. But in Psalm 112, it's focused on the congregation of the Lord. I am thankful for the character of God. But I want you to know, I'm also very, very thankful for you, each one of you. I am so glad that you're here today. God loves you, and uh, I have a message 
that I hope will encourage you, even if it's a difficult time in your life, because God is at work. There's a theologian named Derek Kidner, and that's what he says ought to be the title of Psalm 111, God at work. Have you ever seen the sign men at work? Well, this one ought to be God at work. What is God doing? What has God done? All of those things should motivate us to give him thanks. You know, especially as Americans, I believe that we have a national heritage of gratitude, a national heritage to gratitude where we thank God. I believe we inherited this from the pilgrims. You know, if you think back to the pilgrims, what was it like for them? You know, uh, back in their day, I'm sure that their circumstances weren't all pleasant and joyful. You know, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 said, give thanks in all circumstances. And that's exactly what they did. Let me just review for a second. What did they go through? Maybe you're going through something similar. For example, they were persecuted by the Church of England. Some of them have been fined. Some of them have been harassed. Some had actually been thrown into jail. But suddenly they began to sense there's bound to be a place where I can practice my faith without all of this harassment. They were also displaced. When they left England, they went to the Netherlands. Then they went from the Netherlands here to America. They had two failed attempts to, to go to uh, America. You know, they got on a ship. It was called the Speedwell. Only problem was it didn't speed so well. But anyway, it was leaky. Two different times they had to turn around and go back. And so finally they got on the Mayflower. But terrible storms at sea once they did get out there. A long voyage, 66 days at sea, up and down. Have you ever gone out into the sea to do some deep sea fishing and so forth? Man, I went out there one time and buddy, I, I take Dramamine or something before I go next time. But you know, um, also the guy that was the leader among the pilgrims, his name was William Bradford. He, he eventually wound up being the governor. Whenever they finally get there into that bay, they said, let's take some smaller boats and let's go check out the shore. While they were gone, something tragic happened in William Bradford's family. His wife was out on the deck and she fell overboard and she drowned. And when, when they got back, they said, it's a great place for us to make our home. And you know what? They had to tell him, I'm so sorry, William, you just lost your wife. Some of you have been through a difficult year, and you've lost those that you love. Well, I want you to know that's what the pilgrims had gone through. Some had gone through cold and starvation, scurvy, pneumonia. As a matter of fact, 102 pilgrims came, but only 52 survived. Can you imagine the, the heartbreak that they went through? And yet, you know, they took time in November of 1621 to give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 111 guides us back to that basic. No matter what's going on in your life, you can still give thanks to the Lord, but why? Because He is good. He is good. You see, it's not that life's circumstances are always good. It's not that your health is always good. Our finances are not always good. Our relatives are not always good. Please don't mention any names right there. But anyway, whenever things are not good in your life, you can still say, wait a minute, there is something I can give thanks for, and it's that God is good. So would you stand as we read Psalm 111? Listen to the words of this great psalm. It says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. 
in the company of the upright, in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works. In giving them the inheritance of the nations, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for your great love. Lord, we're so grateful that we serve a faithful God. Thank you so much for how you've revealed to us truth in Scripture. I pray today that you would speak to each heart here. I'm so very thankful for this congregation. I'm thankful for our church family. We love each other. We love you. Your love circulates in our midst within the body of Christ. And so, Lord, we're asking that today, regardless of what's going on in our circumstances, maybe circumstances are really good, and we can give thanks with a glad heart. But it could be that it's been a tough year for someone in this congregation, maybe for everyone in this congregation. But, Lord, we can still say thanks because of who you are. So, Lord, direct us back to you. Show us how this Thanksgiving could be one that will be unforgettable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, let's examine this psalm closely. I want to give you three reasons to worship the Lord and give him thanks this year, or really any year. First, the Lord is worthy of our worship. The Lord is worthy of our worship. You know, uh, that song that we just sang, thank you, Marcia, for singing that one, Worthy of Worship. I love that song. That's a really good one because the focus is on God. The focus is on Him. The psalmist leads us into who should we worship. You know, the whole world doesn't worship the same God that we do. But he starts out saying, praise the Lord. That's where he was focused. A long time ago, Micah 4-5 was a verse that stood out to me. It says, for all the peoples walk each in the name of his God with a little g, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Is that the resolve of your heart because of who you're worshiping? You know, the International Mission Board said that 154,937 people die every day without Christ. Let me give you that statistic one more time. 154,937 die daily without Christ. They broke it down and said that would be about two per second. Can you imagine what would it be like to live your whole life and not know that there's a God who's good? To not know that the Lord loves you, that he has a plan for you and wants you in his family. But also I think the psalmist not only says who he's going to worship, praise the Lord, he also says how he was going to worship. 
You ever come in and sometimes you just feel half-hearted? You know, I look at this passage and I think, that's a challenge for me. For me, this is the standard. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. That's how he worshiped. I believe that's how everyone should worship because God's so good. There's nothing half-hearted about him, so we shouldn't be half-hearted toward him. So we should say, Lord, I want to worship you with my best, with everything I've got. The psalmist also leads us to know where we should worship. You know, the, the little word in is used to talk about location, right? Well, he says, praise the Lord. I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. But where? Where are you going to give thanks to the Lord with your whole heart? Well, he says, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. It, there's nothing wrong with worshiping the Lord by yourself. This morning, when I, after I first got up, I was spending time just worshiping him and praising him and thanking him for how good he was. Nobody was there, just me and him. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong whenever we don't sense, I need to be with God's people. I need to lift him up with others. I thought it was interesting how I learned this week that the first word, company, refers to a small group. So perhaps you could be in a small group, your family, or maybe a group from your Sunday school class. But even in that small company of the upright, you could still express thanks to him. But then in the congregation, it says it refers to a larger gathering of people, perhaps much like this. But that's where we worship. But why? Why should we worship? Well, I think he gives us reasons, and I think what he does is he highlights the Lord's attributes, the Lord's attributes. When we were reading through there, I don't know if these things stood out to you, so I wanted to go over them together on why we worship. You know, I believe that three of the attributes that he mentions focus on the Lord's nature. Two of them focus on the Lord's name. So let's look at those together. First, look with me at verses 3 and 4. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness, his righteousness, endures forever. That's one reason. Why should you worship? Because God is righteous. He's not wicked. He's not evil. He's not mean and bad. At nature, he's, his nature is righteous. But also, notice this. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious. That's another good reason. Gracious. Grace is something that we do not deserve. Unmerited favor. But then he's also merciful. Merciful is when someone doesn't give you what you really deserve. Maybe you deserve punishment. All of us do. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But think about how God is merciful. And so Jesus took the punishment that my sins deserved. That's being merciful. So he's righteous, he's gracious, he's merciful. But notice a couple of things about his name mentioned in verse 9. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. So there's a couple of more things, two more of his attributes. We serve a holy God, and we serve an awesome God. Sometimes I'm afraid that we use awesome way too much. You know me, I think that, you know, pumpkin pie, carrot cake, those are awesome. But we need to save words like that for God and say, no, he is awesome. Well, let me move from looking at how worthy God is, his character, his nature, his name, and so forth, to looking at his works. 
You know, I believe that's another thing that deserves our worship. You know, he says here, great are the works of the Lord studied, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty in his work and his righteousness endures forever. Studied. You know, researching, researching astronomy like we did on Sunday nights not too long ago. Then we went from looking at astronomy, the evidence I'm saying, to then looking at the human body. And you know what we came away with? He should, he's worthy of worship because of what he's done, how he's designed our bodies, how he's designed the universe. You know, uh, some call this psalm the researcher's psalm. That's what some people call it because it says those who study it, those who study it, God is going to give a special insight and special blessing as we ponder the things that the Lord has made. As a matter of fact, I ran across something that I had never heard before. This verse 2, where it says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Did you know that it was written in Latin over the door of the old Cavendish Laboratory, which was the Department of Physics at Cambridge University? The first, the first Cavendish professor was named James Clerk Maxwell. I want you to listen to this scientist this physicist, and what he said in terms of his faith. Almighty God, who created man in thine own image and made him a living soul that he might seek after thee and have dominion over thy creatures, teach us to study the works of thy hands that we may subdue the earth to our use and strengthen the reason for thy service. And so to receive thy blessed word, that we may believe on him whom thou hast sent, to give us the knowledge of salvation and the remission of our sins, all of which we ask in the name of the same Jesus Christ our Lord. I would say that man knew Christ. He knew the Lord. And yet God had called him to be a scientist, to be a physicist. And he was studying God's works. And the more he studied it, the greater his praise was. As a matter of fact, the man who was his successor, his name was Lord, Lord uh, Rayleigh. That man wrote 446 scientific papers. You know what we'd put on the outside cover of each one of those 446 pa papers? He put, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. You see, whenever you love the Lord with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your love, with all your strength and so forth. You don't have to throw your mind out. No, the more you research it, the stronger your faith gets, the more your praise is deepened. And you begin to say, wow, Lord. As a matter of fact, there's a guy who has a PhD in astrophysics that now he's uh, the head of a Bible school. But when he was called to uh, be a scientist, here's what he wrote about it. He said, it was always made clear to me that to be a scientist was as much a Christian calling as it was to be a full-time worker for the church. And I try to encourage students to see science as a vocation. God has created a universe where science is possible. We're only able to do science because of Jesus, and it should be for his glory. You see, I think there are people who are atheists that have taken over many, many areas of the scientific world. But we should say, no, the more I look at what is made, the more convinced I am God deserves praise. 
See, we should be researching his works, and it would strengthen our praise and worship. But I noticed something else in verse 4. Not only researching his works will lead to worship, but also he says remembering his works leads to worship. You know, sometimes I think we have something similar. I don't know what else to call it, but a spiritual amnesia. Sometimes we just absolutely forget. God has been good to us every single year of our lives. And we have one year, one 2020 that comes into our lives and we're like, wow, this is, a, this is the pits. And we're thinking, wait a minute, hold it. Did you forget all that God has already done across the scope of your life? You see, the Lord knew that when he called the nation of Israel. And so he took, gave them some tools that they could have to jog their memory. There's something he said, I want you to do every week. You know what it was? He gave them the Sabbath. He said, once a week, I want you to push the pause button on your work, and I want you to come and worship. I want you to rest. I want you to turn away from all that you've been doing and focus in on me. But then there were these feasts or festivals they did every year, seven times a year, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, Day of Atonement, booths, Seven different feasts every year. What, were, what was the purpose? God was saying, don't forget. Don't forget what all your, where all your blessings come from. You see, our worship services, the scriptures themselves, every time we have the Lord's Supper, you know, it's all about remembering. Don't forget the one who blessed you, the one who's been so good to you. Don't forget creation. Don't forget salvation. Don't forget the scriptures and what he has said. Don't forget his Holy Spirit lives within. Don't forget heaven is out there in front of us. Don't forget what it's like to be a part of the family of God. Don't forget God's providence and how he works even today in our lives. All of these things, as we remember, it gives lift to our worship. And it's not dead. It's very much alive. Researching his works will lead us to worship. Remembering his works lead us to worship. But I believe also receiving from his works leads us to worship. You know, if you look at verse 5 and 6, look at those verbs in there. Verbs that remind us that we're constantly receiving from his works, right? He provides, he provides, he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. Wow. Let me ask you, did you earn oxygen? Did you earn today the air that you breathe? I didn't. You know, none of us do. We don't earn oxygen. We don't earn water. We don't earn the rain that falls from the heavens. We don't earn this distance that our planet is from the sun. Do you know if we were a little further, we would freeze to death. If we were a little closer, we burn up. How is it that every single year we remain just right, just the right distance? And what about we looked the other night at the vestibular system? Maybe you'd say, I don't even know what that is. I didn't either until I went through that study the other night. But the vestibular system is something deep within the inner ear that causes you and me to be able to stand upright. If that system is off, you know what? Me and you, we... We can't even stand up. Have you ever heard of anybody having vertigo? That's what happens. You see, God placed within you the ability to stand up. And if he didn't do it, you wouldn't be standing up. And you wouldn't be running or working and so forth. 
think about it. Did you choose your family? God placed you in a family. God gave you a body. God has given you health. God chose for you to be born where you were born. Man, God is so good. God is so good. We've been receiving from him. And you know, we ought to say, Lord, I, I know now because of all that you're doing, I can also rely on you. Rely on you. That's what verses 7 and 8 remind us. When you look at God's works, you begin to realize, you know what? They're so steady. I didn't make the sun come up today. Did you pray that God would bring the sun up today? I didn't. None of us do. He just does it, doesn't he? He just does that. And so I'm thinking, wow, you know what? The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. You know, there's some guys from the past that have been saying this for a long time. Back in the 1600s, there was an English commentator named John Trapp, and here's what he said. No small things are done by so great a hand. No small things are done by so great a hand. Alexander McLaren lived in the 1800s, a Scottish preacher. He said, the more one gazes at the works of the Lord, the more one sees. Are you taking time to see how regular and steady God is? Jesus was referring to the dependability of the Father in Matthew 5, 45. Listen to what Jesus said. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, all our lives, God's been good to us, hasn't he? We have been relying on him and we didn't even realize it. You know, I like how verse, the last part of verse 7, all his precepts are trustworthy. Going down into verse 8, they're established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. There's such a transition and a correlation, a connection between God's works and God's wisdom. Because it's like he's saying as he transitions into these last two verses, he's saying, you know what? The more I think about it, all of his works have already been said that he was going to do that. So he's so faithful in his works to accomplish his word. So I want to give you one final thing that you can thank God for this Thanksgiving. You could thank him and say, Lord, you're worthy. You're worthy of my worship. Just who you are, your character. You could say, all that you've done are your works. They deserve my worship. But I believe you could also say, Lord, you are so wise. You are so wise. Your wisdom merits our worship. You know, I just wondered, have you ever thought about redemption? Redemption? He says here, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Did we think up redemption? Mankind in general? Was it us? No, it wasn't. I encourage you sometime to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 reminds us that the world, even in all its wisdom, we didn't figure it out. As a matter of fact, the Greeks and the Romans and all these different people in the past, they thought it was funny. You mean someone dying on a cross is going to make it where you can live forever in heaven. Someone that's raised from the dead is someone that you're going to be counting on for being in God's family? Yes, that's, that's what it, it says in 1 Corinthians 1.21, the world did not know God through wisdom. To them, the cross is foolishness. 
And I'm thinking, God, you're so wise. We don't even recognize it whenever we see it. Redemption, you know what that word redemption means? Redemption means bringing liberty to somebody who's a captive. Just run the tape back. Wasn't there a time when sin was, was your master? When you were in bondage to sin? And what changed all that? It wasn't us. It was him. It was his redemption. It was Christ. Usually, the only way that that liberty is possible for somebody who's a slave, there's only one way. Somebody pays something through the payment of a price called ransom. He sent redemption to his people. Isn't that amazing? You know, his wisdom thought of that plan of redemption. But I, I noticed one more thing in the last verse, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. His wisdom thought of the plan of redemption, but also his wisdom brought a protocol of reverence. A protocol of reverence. How should we act around God? Should we just take him for granted? Should we just ignore him? I wouldn't do that. The psalmist maintained that wisdom, wisdom doesn't even begin until we begin to fear God and reverence him, respect him, whatever word you want to put in right there. Until we reverence God, we may think we're wise and we may be smart, but there's such a difference in being smart and being wise. You know, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God because someday they'll find out, oh my goodness, I thought they told me there was no God. And God says, I told you that I was there all along. And so somebody could be really smart in certain disciplines, and yet they can be foolish in terms of God and all the things of the Lord. That's why God's revealed to us in Scripture a lot of this wisdom. It says all those who practice it have a good understanding. All those who practice it. You know, why should we owe God respect? I'll tell you why. Because if you will do what he said in his word, it will help you make good decisions in your life. and It will help you avoid bad decisions in your life. That's what he's saying. All those who practice this fear of the Lord, they will have good understanding. God's going to help you make the right decisions if you just have reverence for him. I'll give you another reason. You know, look at this last part of verse 10. His praise endures forever, forever. I didn't notice this until the end of my study preparing for this message. Did you notice that the word forever is mentioned five times? I think that's one reason why we ought to be saying, God, I, I respect you, I reverence you. Here's the reason, because are you gonna live to be 100? Are you gonna live to be 110? We won't make it much past there, right? God is eternal, and he's saying, come on and join my eternal family. Come on and be a part of this. Five times he mentions what is forever. Look at verse 3. His righteousness endures forever. He's not going to change on you or me. Verse 5, he remembers his covenant forever. Verse 7 and 8, his precepts are established forever. Verse 9, he has commanded his covenant forever. And now here in verse 10. His praise endures forever. His praise. You see, 
That's really what life is all about, is worshiping God, glorifying God, saying, God, it's really all about you, isn't it? It's not about me. You know, I was thinking about how this morning, regardless of our numbers here, we have the privilege of joining multitudes in heaven. And I do mean multitudes. And what they're saying is, he is worthy. He is worthy. You know, day and night, they're giving the one upon the throne glory and honor and thanks. And you know what they're saying? They're saying to him, you created it all. And so we're so grateful to you. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, there's no mention of people up there in heaven saying, thank you so much for my health. There's no mention of people saying, thank you so much for all the money I have. There's no mention of anybody saying, thank you so much for all my family. Thank you so much for my material blessings. Thank you so much for my country. Thank you so much for the delicious food. You know, in heaven, it's all about God. And people are saying, you're so great and you're so good. And so if you're struggling this Thanksgiving, I'm not saying you can't thank the Lord for those things that he's blessed you with. Of course, thank him for those things. But here's the deal. If you're struggling to find something, look at him. Just look at him. You go over into chapter 5 and you hear more praise and worship, still focused on how worthy the Lord is. You see, he deserves our worship because of his atonement on the cross. He deserves our worship because of his enthronement, enthronement in his coming kingdom. In essence, it's all of what he has done, not what we have done. And if you look at Revelation 5, 11 through 13, it's revealed to us that we never should assume we're the only ones, that the numbers that we have are the only numbers praising God this morning. Oh, no. No, it says that there are myriads, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels that are lifting him up and exalting him in heaven. Really, most Bible scholars say what it's referring to is it's beyond counting. It's innumerable. You'll never be able to adequately count it. And it may surprise you to see that it says every creature, every creature is going to be giving worship to the Father and the Son forever and ever. Remember where we started? Six times in Scripture we're exhorted, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. So this week, remember why you can still give thanks to the Lord. Regardless of what's not there, you can say, well, I thank you, Lord, because you're good. There was an Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk. It was really tough on Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, he'd been through a hard year. And here's what he said. He said, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And then it's like he turns a corner. Yet I will rejoice. Where are you going to rejoice? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. That's where you'll find joy. 
That's where you'll find that gratitude that maybe you're struggling to find if you are. Perhaps it's just flowing out of you. And I praise the Lord for that. But I want us to stand. And I want to give an opportunity in case someone here doesn't know Christ. That's where it all begins. Everything starts with gratitude whenever you realize he's forgiven me of all my sins. He's washed it all away. So that's why we have this time of invitation where we look back and we think, with how good he was at the cross, we want to extend an opportunity to every person to have an opportunity to say, Jesus is my Savior, and I want to praise him because he's worthy. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll be waiting down front if you need someone to talk with during this time of invitation. Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much. You have been so good this year. The truth is you're good every year. The truth is you're good every day and every moment, every second of every day. Thank you so much, Lord, for just who you are, your righteousness, your holiness, your faithfulness, your grace, your mercy, your power, your authority. I guess we could go on and on. But Lord, there could be someone here today and they don't have a personal relationship with you. It would be our congregation's joy, an absolute joy to see them trust you, to come to know you um, on this, this Thanksgiving season. So we pray that, Lord, during this time, you would draw those who do not yet have that personal relationship with Christ. Let this be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.